Welcome to the discussion, government's approach to digital transformation during COVID. Sponsored by ServiceNow, here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Pablo Stern, the Senior Vice President for IT Workflow Products at ServiceNow, Yemi Oshinaye, the Deputy Chief Information Officer for the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, Kashit Pandia, the Deputy CIO for IT Operations at the IRS. Welcome to the discussion. Let me set just a little bit of context for our conversation today. We've all heard the stories how COVID-19 has pushed digital transformation to the forefront over the past year. Many agencies were forced to, to speed up the delivery of online services by innovating through the cloud, especially through software as a service. Over the last year, we've had some agencies who started to reconsider their modernization roadmaps, adjust their plans to meet more pressing and immediate demands to support that virtual workforce. While we saw other agencies whose network cybersecurity collaboration tool investments in previous years actually put them in a relatively good position to address the significant and sudden changes that their employees had to face in their work environments. No matter where agencies started, all must continue to optimize their networks, their services, and use the data as the driving force behind those efforts. This will lead to improving citizen and customer user experiences. It will mean take advantage of artificial intelligence and other emerging technologies. And it will mean operational resilience because the cloud and the as-a-service model will ensure employees can work from anywhere at any time. So with that context in place, let's turn to the panelists. Once again, my guests are Pablo Stern, the Senior Vice President for IT Workflow Products at ServiceNow, Yemi Oshinaye, the Deputy CIO for the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, and Kashit Handia, the Deputy CIO for IT Operations at the IRS. Yeah, Yemi, let me start with you. Digital transformation strategy over the last year, it's its probably evolved a little bit for USCIS. You guys were a big uh, cloud users. You guys were a big DevOps user. Walk me through what has changed over the past year. Well, I'll tell you what, I think that's a great question, Jason. For us, really, it was about execution. Uh, we took a, a really good hard look a couple of years ago and invested in, you know, better networks invested in getting 365, really invested in looking at our value stream and making sure we can do a lot of things. Cause you know, we've been kind of inundated with paper for years and we're trying to get out of the paper game. So we, we pushed the envelope on, on digital and very fortunately, we just happen to be in this position when everything hit that we can now execute. So there are some things we did faster than others. Like we're, we're doing video interviews to have social distancing because of COVID. Um, we were able to take workloads that normally we've done in one office and do them in different offices, but those capabilities were there because we started investing in them. And then we said, hey guys, instead of waiting, it's just time to test these things out. So I think a lot of that really good preparation came in handy for us. How often were you saying, this is new, we got to launch it because of the pandemic versus, well, let's test it longer. Let's Let's wait and see like that urgency that I've heard many times from, from people in your position has really driven that the changes, but, but were you going to launch in six months and instead you launched in one month type of change, or was it as the need came up, you pushed it out? It was a little bit of both. I, I can tell you our, our 365 journey was one that, you know, we were moving away from the, uh, the enterprise outlook the way we had it and we're moving towards 365 and then teams and things like that but as the pandemic hit we said well i think video conferencing through teams is going to be really important let's start doing it and testing it out let's send everybody home before we all had to go home to see what the network would be like and so instead of putting the, the dollars to it you know a month or two later we said let's do it now uh and then when when we found ourselves in a situation that we needed you know, software to help workloads for adjudication move around. We said, well, we knew that existed, but we, we just never did it. So let's just do it now. So, so we kind of accelerated. I wouldn't say it was six months to one month, but, you know, kind of like there's three months to let's do it today. And the fortunate thing is we can just flip a switch. And so that, that was really good to see. Well, looking back now, probably the best thing that agencies did was that test. When I remember back in January, February timeframe 2020, when the Office of the Federal CIO had asked for that test it was very hush hush. That really set everybody up for for success in many ways. Kashit, let's talk about the IRS. Uh, you guys are on a never ending <laughs> evolution of digital transformation. How has things changed over the past year for the IRS? Thanks, Jason. Uh, you know, my our response uh, echoes and it's, it's very similar to what Yemi has raised as well. Uh, there was a 
urgency and a priority uh, placed on transforming ourselves from a digital perspective. So um, as we realized that more and more of our workforce was now going to be remote, we had to continue to identify how best to improve that user experience. And that ranged from everything from expanding our our ability, our users' ability to remotely log in. We had you know, about 25,000 or so people dialing in or remotely dialing in. We had to increase that capacity to nearly 90,000. We had to invest much more heavily in our network infrastructure to be able to accommodate not just those connections, but the ability for our users to be able to have a quote unquote normal functioning experience, right? Which includes video conferencing, which includes multiple video conferences across the board, in addition to audio conferencing. So we had to invest in that. We had to invest in deploy solutions faster. Um, you know, you asked Yemi about, you know, did we go from six months to three months? We did actually end up having to deploy faster. We had plans for execution and deployment that were probably, I would say, nine to 12 months out. But because of where we found ourselves in March 2020, that timeline shrunk from 12 months to two months, and sometimes you know less than that. And we reacted, and we did so by just being a little less risk averse. We said, let's deploy, let's execute, and then we'll iterate on what we've executed rather than continue this planning and analysis stage. So it really did require us to accelerate everything in the digital front, um, and and, and ensure that the experience wasn't, uh, I would say, ruined by any infrastructure. Right? So we had to make the right investments and do it faster than we ever did before. I, I think that's a great example of one going from a potential 12 month plan to two months. Uh, I, I think that shows what, what anyone can get done, specifically in the government who sometimes gets a bad rep. Was that a matter of, and I'm going to buzz you, I'm going to give you a little bit of buzzword here, MVP, you got the minimal viable product out, and then you iterated, or did you have like what Yemi was talking about, we were already on the path for 365, and we just, we just turned, turned all the switches up? No, that's a, that's a great question. It really was to your point, uh, the first point, MVP. Um, we have, we, we work through the requirements, whether it's for an IT requirement or a business partner's requirement. We typically work with the requirements and try to deliver the full package you know, in one fell swoop. We realized that we needed to deploy something faster and that tended to include what is the base capability that is required immediately. And then we can enhance and build on what that base capability can provide. But at, right off the bat, it was, let's get the minimal viable product out. We'll iterate, we'll come out with version two, version three, version four, or whatever is necessary. But those are enhancements as opposed to what is the immediate need. So it really was much more of deploy out of box solutions, deploy the minimal viable product, and then build it into it. We'll talk later in the program about some of these capabilities and how you kind of shifted that culture. But let me bring let me bring Pablo in from ServiceNow. One of the things about the this, what you heard from Yemi and from Kashit is not uncommon, I imagine, from what you've heard from your customers. Uh, first of all, let's react to what Yemi and Kashit were saying, and then then broaden out to what you saw more broad to to what you saw across the government over the last year. Sure, you know, if, if you think about it, like digital transformation is really about unlocking productivity, and and what Kashit said is absolutely right. We're hearing this from tons of our customers, which is it's about getting those great experiences to your employees, to citizens, to your customers, and really what we've seen in the pandemic is. We have to meet people where they are. And at the core, this is about the flow of work. And today, a lot of that is still very manual. There's a lot of friction. And I think one of the things that we've seen, we've heard from a lot of folks in, in technology leadership roles is that 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 is still not manual, that friction is really being making people get caught flat-footed. And you know, I was reassured to hear Yemi say, look, they actually started some of their digital initiatives early. And so it actually set them up in a good place to go and, and really tackle the, the pandemic when, when everybody was basically required to work from home and, and you really change the landscape. Um, but really what we've seen from our customers, broadly speaking, is there's been really an acceleration in those digital initiatives. So I was talking to a, a customer in the private sector who said, look, our budgets aren't changing tremendously, but what we are doing is we're actually going and over-investing in these digital initiatives and we're actually 
cutting our costs on infrastructure side, on places where we can go and find some hard dollar savings, because we've realized that we really need to be able to do that to be competitive and to really deliver the services and the experiences that our employees and customers and citizens need. I want to delve into that idea more about understanding where to cut and where to reinvest. Uh, and I'm not sure how much you can tell us more about that, that customer, but in the private sector, obviously it's easier, but it's not something that agencies can't do themselves. I mean, with working capital funds and, and other approaches, is, is, does that conversation come up that, hey, if we could kind of move money, shift money, uh, save and, and then reinvest? Pablo, what are you hearing? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we see this a lot actually with, with the agencies we work with, like hard dollar savings around, you know, what are the assets that you have? What are the licenses that you have for software licenses? And how are those actually being utilized amongst your employee base? I mean, we've seen customers that have saved millions of dollars by being able to go and really figure out like what is being used, where meeting the employees where they are, and then using those dollars to invest them in some of the digital initiatives. So it, it transcends both. The reality is that as you shift a cloud, there are opportunities to drive efficiency. You know, um, as Kashit was talking about, as you get to, to deliver faster, faster pace of innovation ultimately delivers more productivity and more efficiency. And so there are some soft savings that you can see in some of those transitions as well. Um, one of the core things that we've seen from a lot of our customers is focusing the employees on higher value work. So if you can take things like a password reset call into support or VPN issue and push that out through self-service to a virtual agent, then that actually lets you focus your teams on things that are more important, more valuable, and ultimately drives better overall efficiency and productivity for your organization. Kashit, you were shaking your head there a little bit to what uh, Pablo was saying. Jump in a little bit and talk a little bit about your uh, how IRS has maybe shifted some costs or at least drove some efficiencies. Absolutely. Um, I, I was shaking my head because I, it's, uh, I was relating to what Pablo was saying. Um, you know, our, our budgets weren't exponentially increased just because we had this need and urgency to deploy more in addition to what we were already working to uh, implement and deploy we had to figure out how best to reprioritize um, and use the existing budget we had. Um, one of the areas we looked, uh, we were taking a hard look at is reducing IT footprint. Um, and that encompasses multiple initiatives and effort within it, everything from migrating to cloud, to decommissioning our, our legacy environments, um, to leveraging you know, AI robotics where possible. To, to Pablo's point, um, how can we ensure that our teams uh, are doing the high value work rather than what they have been inundated with, which can be pushed out through self-service, through automation? Um, we have focused a lot more on trying to consolidate our, you know, everything from our tools inventory to reducing the number of applications we are using through portfolio rationalizations. It really is, how do we shift the funding that we currently have and put it more towards innovation and modernization rather than continuing to expand in the way we had previously, which ultimately leads to higher O&M costs, right? So it's reduce the O&M costs so that the ratio of the O&M budget against the you know, uh, say modernization and the other uh, uh, new initiative budget now shifts in the favor of modernization and innovation. So, it is reprioritizing to reduce ONM to therefore by doing so increasing the ability to modernize. Kashi, I'm gonna nerd out with you for a second if you don't mind, because this is one of my favorite topics. I, I'm still looking forward to the federal IT dashboard update whenever it happens about the shift from ONM to DME. I think that for years we've talked about this. <laughs> Yemi knows what I'm talking about. Agencies, 80% of their IT budget on, on ONM. I think we're gonna see a shift. I think. I wouldn't be surprised if across the board we see it down to 75, 72%, maybe even lower. Uh, Yemi, we'll jump in a little bit. You don't have to maybe comment on that specifically, but how is USCIS also addressing the, that DME OM shifting to the, because of the urgency of the pandemic? Yeah, I'm going to kind of stitch some of what Pablo and Kashit said together. I mean, looking at budgets and looking at 
you know, our operating environment is, is like a constant thing. It, it's no longer that you look at a budget, you know, at one time of the year, we're looking at, you know, workloads. How much does a workload in a data center versus in the cloud? And even honestly, when you get to the cloud, it's optimized, optimized, optimized. How do I optimize my workload so I get more out of each VM? And then that goes back into savings so I can reinvest that saving into more automation. How, how can I get software out with the reduced amount of errors so that I, my software developers can work on strategies of building architecture. And then, you know, some of the cool things we get to do is, is we focus on just, you know, modernizing like our call center. We take things from tier one with warm handoffs to tier two with information so that the, the call center agents now can work more, more um, complex cases so we can help our clients. And then really having adjudicators, you know, being able to facilitate their job. So it's, it's, it's like really multifaceted, but really on the O&M side is it's automation, I mean, to, to the hilt. We're trying to make sure that we automate so much that it's not about O&M, it's really about pushing the envelope of our environment so we can do more um, and, and increase that value stream. So, so it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of work. IT is a contact sport, right? <laughs> Yeah, Jason, I want to jump in because I think, you know, something that Yemi talked about around these value streams, I think is really what we're seeing across our customer base, both uh, agencies and governments and private sector, which is what's happening is, and she hit on this a little bit, which is you're driving faster innovation, you're going across that entire value stream, but there's still a lot of swivel chair, there are a lot of different teams that are working through things, there are a lot of different tool chains that are being used across this. And as you're trying to get more lean, more agile, you're in this environment that's pretty hybrid because you still have your waterfall on-prem environments that are multi-tiered with these new applications that are in the digital space and that are breaking things, frankly, because you're going to MVP and you're moving fast. And so what we're really hearing from our customers is this need to kind of create a fabric, a, a digital fabric that's, that interconnects these value streams across all the tool chains and all the disparate tools that exist from your plan to build, to operate, to deliver that service. Because in the end, as a technology leader, you're gonna be living in this hybrid world for time to be. And you wanna make sure that your priorities are aligned to what the teams are doing and you're enabling and empowering those teams to work in their tools of choice, but you're doing so in a way that's not only increasing the speed of innovation, but it's also assuring quality and governance and helping you reduce costs. Plenty more, plenty more to dig out from that. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can, we can continue our conversation. You're listening to the panel discussion Government's Approach to Digital Transformation During COVID, sponsored by ServiceNow on Federal News Network. This past year saw the digitization of government service massively accelerated. The goal of digital transformation is deliver intuitive, efficient, and secure services to employees and citizens. ServiceNow delivers cloud-based service management and operation solutions built on the Now platform. ServiceNow helps federal IT leaders gain greater visibility into systems and data to reimagine work within their agency, foster best practices, and develop a faster, better way to achieve their mission. Learn more. Visit servicenow.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Government's Approach to Digital Innovation During COVID, sponsored by ServiceNow on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Pablo Stern, the Senior Vice President for IT Workflow Products at ServiceNow, Yemi Oshinaye, the Deputy CIO for the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, and Kashit Pandia, the Deputy CIO for IT Operations at the IRS. Before break, we started talking about the cost savings and this idea of the hybrid environment. I think, Pablo, you mentioned that. And that's actually a great segue to the cloud discussion because digital transformation, you got to talk about cloud, you got to talk about specifically software as a service, which I, which I know from talking to the folks, for instance, at FedRAMP, there was a huge push over the last year for more software as a service, you know, uh, services, you know, CSPs that were FedRAMP specifically for that. So Kashit, lead us off. Cloud is not the panacea, we know that, but it's, it, you got to find the right balance. Absolutely, Jason, uh, and you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, the cloud is not the panacea, it is not the magic bullet, and, and cloud in and of itself can't be the strategy. Cloud is a tool that is leveraged for your strategy that you have already developed and established. For us at the IRS, cloud is certainly a, a key element and a key driver of our overall IT strategy, and we plan on aggressively leveraging the cloud. Um, as we look at our cloud, we are very careful to ensure that we don't fall into the trap of that misguided notion or misconception that 
Cloud is the magic bullet. Cloud fixes all of your problems and challenges that you're facing and encountering with your applications or resource management on-prem. We are saying cloud first. That is our that is our priority. That is our, our focus. But we're adding a slash after first to say, let's be cloud smart. Let's ensure that we are aware and cognizant of what we are migrating, why we're migrating, and why it truly is a benefit for the agency which ultimately, of course, is going to make sure it's a benefit for you know, all of our stakeholders, which includes our internal employees and our taxpayers. So it is much more about cloud first, cloud smart than just saying, put everything in the cloud and therefore everything will automatically be cloud. Not surprisingly, sometimes IRS gets a little bit of a bad rap of being stuck on COBOL and, and those types of systems. Generally speaking, I'm not sure you have that number in front of you. 20% of your apps are in the cloud, 80% are in the cloud. Do you, do you know offhand? Uh, we have roughly about, I'd say, 60 to 70 applications that are in the cloud right now. And it's a varying degree of when we say cloud. You know, Some are as a platform, some are a software as a service. Um, we are looking to start building out our footprint uh, from an infrastructure as a service perspective as well. So while we have some, uh, like I said, about 60 to 70 applications now, we have developed a cloud strategy and cloud roadmap that is going to be much more aggressive in how fast we migrate those additional applications that are currently on-prem into the cloud. Again, keeping our focus on why we're doing that, right? making sure there are benefits that we can derive and will derive from that migration. Jason, I'll, I'll jump in here because um, what you know. One thing we, we've looked across our largest customers, of which uh, many of the folks both we're talking through today, as well as other agencies uh, in uh, in the U.S. government, are included. Are self-reporting probably around that twenty to thirty percent is what what we're hearing across again the largest customers that we have, with a goal of getting to fifty percent in the next three to five years. Um, and and I love what Kashid said about cloud smart. Because it is, it really, the strategy, while cloud first is a priority for a lot of our customers, uh, it's a cloud smart strategy that's going to get you to your destination. Because if you think of it over the next five years, you're going to be in this hybrid world. And in that hybrid world, you're actually increasing your complexity because you still have to manage everything that you have on-prem while you're building up these new applications. And so making sure that you're driving the ones that are highest value, most important, they're going to drive the best outcomes to the cloud first is really where, where we see like the most success amongst our customers. Now we- Yeah, I'd I jump in there too, Jason, if that's okay. I, I think you're spot on, Pablo. Uh, uh, being able to manage that hybrid environment is really important. One of the things that we saw as we got into our cloud journey is once you get into one area and you have multiple areas, I think you mentioned an earlier problem is as having the fabric, uh, because if you're in a cloud hosting environment, you have a platform and you have SaaS, those entities have to start to communicate. So how you integrate through APIs, how you manage what tools help you build that is very important. And, and you have to overlay your business strategy with you know what's your data flows, you know how you want to save money, at the same time, making sure that your architectural roadmap meets uh, meets the same business strategy, and, and that you know it's easy to say here on the panel, but that's that's one of those very difficult things that you know you need a ton of internal and, and, and uh, support staff to be able to do. I think we've had a lot of vendor collaboration to be able to get where we are today, but I, I think it's critical to, to mention that. One, um, if I can jump in, Jason, just one more comment. One of the um, conscious efforts that we are making from a cloud perspective, um, knowing that the hybrid established hybrid cloud or, or management is going to be challenging is trying to limit the number of presence or the areas where we have a presence. So instead of identifying five, six, 10 different cloud service providers where we want to build out some infrastructure, let's ensure that we are not expanding our footprint larger than it becomes for us to manage and therefore perhaps limiting where we establish our presence to begin with. Perhaps start with you know, your Amazon or your Azure, your Google, and, and limit it to the number that we have to now be responsible for manage until we are at a point where we can say we are completely off-prem and therefore we can now start expanding into additional cloud service providers. Pablo, I wanna go back to something you said about 
20 to 30% of your largest customers are in the cloud with the goal of getting 50%. Now, is this is public and private sector or more public sector or, or just yeah. both? It, it's both. And I'd say it's, it's like, these are the largest customers that we have. So it, so it really covers a lot of uh, the, the public sector as well, because they, they are some of our, our largest partners and customers. Uh, and I'd say it's, it, it does depend a little bit. Like if you go down the private sector, depending on the industry that you're in, you will see, you know, technology, financial services be further ahead potentially. But I'd say like in general, it's pretty, it's pretty consistent. Um, and, and there isn't like, there aren't places where we see like huge swaths way ahead or huge way behind. I think as smaller companies, it's a lot easier to do or smaller agencies, like you may have more flexibility, but like when you're managing a large set of employees, you have a large constituent base that you're, you're trying to deliver services to, like that, that really breeds some of the, the complexity that you have to really manage. I'm glad you brought up the complexity piece because that was the other piece I thought maybe I could I could uh, put you on the spot on. Because uh, she was talked about IRS is really trying to not have cloud sprawl. And I think that's been a, a challenge for a lot of agencies. Is there a way to manage that? And you know, are you seeing agencies who are able to manage that? Or does it start with a centralized cloud program management office? Because I could see, oh, it's so easy to spin up an instance or or move to software as a service and not tell the CIO's office. Now we know with Fatari, you're supposed to tell them, but you know, we also know that that's, that's, that's a part of that culture change. Pablo, what's, what's the answer here if there is one? Yeah. So, so I think, I think what, what started out was as, as teams are moving to innovate more quickly, it does become a bit of a wild west out there. You're enabling teams, they're taking out credit cards, they're swiping, they're going to multiple different clouds or using multiple different tool chains. And I think that the reality is that to a certain extent, you want to empower your application, your dev teams to be able to move quickly, but that does come with a certain cost and a certain amount of complexity. And so what Kashit said is what we're seeing with a lot of our customers, public and private, which is there's a view of, okay, look, it may not be a single cloud strategy, but we're going to go try to focus on the ones that are going to be the highest value. And you may end up having multiple different pipelines with some teams using a pipeline that Microsoft has or an open source pipeline. But, but in the end, the, the piece that um, Yemi hit on, I think is where, what everybody's really singling out, which is how do you get to that fabric? Because in the end, you want to empower your teams, you want them to run quickly, but you need to make sure that as a technology leader, you have full visibility across the entire spectrum both the, the stuff that you have this waterfall on-prem and all the stuff that you have in cloud that may have multiple different tool chains. And that factory that you have, the software factory that's helping build those may actually have a few different places where you're putting stuff out into other clouds or potentially different tool chains. And so the, the thing that we've been very focused on based on this feedback from customers is helping bring that together to avoid both the silo of technology and really people in process. So you're, you're avoiding that swivel chair. And while at ServiceNow, we don't see ourselves as being everything for every single app team. What we do see is we see that we have the ability to enable and empower the technology leaders to be able to do that across these factories that are being built out. Yeah, I'll just add to that. I, I think uh, you mentioned also Jason Fatar and being able to report. I think one of the things we did is, is you know, we don't want to chase scale, we want to enable scale. So um, one of the good news stories, the probably love this. I mean, with ServiceNow, we actually enable citizen development, which our HR group, we allow them to develop, but you can only develop using automated governance. You have to use the pipeline we built. You can create anything you want. It's going to go through the pipeline when it gets ready for that final push to production. We do a review so that we actually enable the folks that know the, the, the intricacies of the business to build it. Why not? There's so much more in IT that we have to do from a software development, a management and infrastructure perspective that allowing citizens to help us scale is where we need to be. And we still need to sustain it. So it allows us to do more uh, with less, to be quite honest. Yeah, I mean, I want to go down the path of that enablement and, and the development, the pipeline, but let me take a half a step back before we go there. USCIS was in the cloud much before a lot of agencies. You all could have seen that cloud sprawl happen much more quickly. Have you all dealt with that issue? And, and if so, how have you dealt with it? And then how's that, how's that led to a successful implementation of DevSecOps? 
Yeah, so we, we definitely had to trip over ourselves just a little bit. So, you know, when we first got in, and really that's kind of what I talked about before about Optimize, when you migrate things and, and what we call that lift and shift in there, you, you see the build jump on you. And you're like, well, wait a minute, that's not what we expected. And it's really looking at the paradigm. If something's going into the cloud, we need to be leveraging cloud services. If we just wanted to switch a, a VM or switch a resource, we could do that in a, in, in a data center. So, you know, we got smarter about, you know, looking first at network paths, looking second at, you know, what can we leverage when we put things in the cloud? And also here's a paradigm, is it hosting, platform or is it SaaS? We should know that before we start moving workloads and it's not really about moving systems, it's moving workloads in a smart manner. So we know what we're putting in a, you know, a Salesforce or a ServiceNow or an Amazon or in Google and we leverage those services because let's face it, there are so many cloud services at some point, we're going to be a, a, a plethora of different clouds integrating and, and underlying it's going to be a network that links it. So we took a step back and, and took a look at that. So anytime we move or build a workload, we're looking at that first and that enabled us to optimize. And, and now we have this thing where we're looking at, at um, it's called, uh, our CTO called it Clean My Cloud. So we're looking at it every month. So when you put something in the cloud, if you haven't done something to optimize it, we kind of call you out. So we, we gamified it a little bit. That's great. I, I, I'll have to follow up with you. Clean my clean my cloud or clean clean the cloud or uh, I think adding a little <laughs> bit of fun to it is, is, is important to keep people paying attention. Uh, Kashit, as you guys are, are going to the cloud, are you guys mostly looking at software as a service or again, taking Yemi's perspective? It depends. I mean, what workload makes sense? Do we do we are we going in? Are you going into it with that same question? Is this platform? Is this infrastructure? Is this software? It really does depend. We haven't um, narrowed down to we will only use software as a service uh, for all of our future you know, migration activities. It it does depend on what it is that we are migrating. Uh, to Yemi's point, what is that workload that we are looking to migrate? And I think depending on what that workload is, the selection will be you know work software as a service, uh, IaaS, PaaS. But we are not limiting ourselves to say, this is the only option that exists and this is the only option we'll pursue. Um, we are expanding, if anything, to say what makes the most sense, what's the smartest move for us for this workload. So rather than say it's, it has to be SaaS or PaaS or IaaS, we started looking at, you know, does database as a service make more sense here? Does containers as a service make more sense here? really trying to figure out what is optimal for the workload that's being moved, what is the optimal working or operating model when it ends up in the cloud space. So um, I would say it, we have presence uh, and, and migrating applications that fit under each of those service models, but we are expanding on one of those service models to evaluate rather than focusing or narrowing on just one. Yeah, and Jason, I'll, I'll build on that one a little bit. Um, because I, I think that, you know, and because um, you were talking about uh, cloud smart, there's almost like a, a SaaS smart as well, if you will, which is we think about the, the single biggest asset that we all have is our is people. And, you know, put, making sure those people are working on the highest value work is really going to drive the best outcomes for our constituents. And so, you know, the more time that you're spending managing infrastructure, package software, um, things that we're, that may not be core competencies, like that's probably not the best investment. And again, like you have to figure out where that is. What are the things that matter at an infrastructure level versus at a platform level versus at a at a software level and software that you're managing in infrastructure versus into the cloud. And the other thing also to think of is if you then go and look at where the investments are coming, you know, like if, like, can you drive the same amount of innovation and energy and are you going to put the same amount of investment to the outcomes that that solution is going to give to you? Where you have like teams that may be 10 times or hundred times larger that are putting a lot of innovation and are trying to do so at rapid cadence on a monthly basis or bi-weekly basis. And so I think that those have to be sort of brought into consideration and then making sure that as you look across the gamut of your people that that you're really investing on the things that are going to drive the highest value for, for your organization. Yeah. And just one, one more thing to add on to that, Jason, for us, you know, I, I mentioned the spectrum of as a service that we are currently evaluating or leveraging from a target state perspective. However, we know that there are greater gains to get away from when we get away from IS, right? We, 
we already have data centers uh, in place now. Um, IaaS really would just be an expansion of our current data center as opposed to leveraging the benefits that platform or software as a service provides. So while we are pursuing or leveraging IaaS now, we know our target state has to be a higher up in the stack from a, as a service perspective. So we really start using platform and software as a service. I think that's a great point that we're going to delve into in the next segment. So let's uh, take a quick break and we'll come back. We'll continue our conversation. You're listening to the panel discussion, Government's Approach to Digital Transformation During COVID, sponsored by ServiceNow on Federal News Network. This past year saw the digitization of government service massively accelerated. The goal of digital transformation is deliver intuitive, efficient, and secure services to employees and citizens. ServiceNow delivers cloud-based service management and operation solutions built on the Now platform. ServiceNow helps federal IT leaders gain greater visibility into systems and data to reimagine work within their agency, foster best practices, and develop a faster, better way to achieve their mission. Learn more. Visit servicenow.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Government's Approach to Digital Innovation During COVID, sponsored by ServiceNow on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Pablo Stern, the Senior Vice President for IT Workflow Products at ServiceNow, Yami Oshinaye, the Deputy CIO for the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, Kashit Pendia, the Deputy CIO for IT Operations at the IRS. Last segment, we talked a lot about the cloud moving toward the as-a-service model. Now, as agencies and organizations really generally move toward that as a service model, that means there's going to be a lot of, if you will, back and forth to that cloud, back and forth to the hybrid environment, the on-prem, looking for data, pulling data, sharing data. Is that causing a complexity that agencies and other organizations really need to start understanding because of the, if you will, amount of requests, amount of data that's coming back and forth? Pablo, lead us off with, with that question. Yeah, and, and this is absolutely what we're seeing. And, and actually that that complexity is driving a huge opportunity because what we've seen across our customers is historically requests were mainly coming in from people. People were picking up the phone, they were calling to support, they needed a, a laptop, they needed to get their password reset. And what we've seen is as more and more of these services are going out into cloud and there are more sensors in the cloud, you're actually starting to see more data coming in from the cloud. And the transition is that now actually we're to, we're to transition point where most of the data that's actually coming into the organization is actually coming in from the cloud from these sensors. And what that really means is now you have the ability to use that information to be able to, by applying machine learning, by applying you know, chatbots or AI ops to really drive insights from that information that's gonna help you identify some of those issues before somebody starts picking up the phone, before somebody calls you in. And, and really we see that as a convergence between this service management world and the operations world into like a converged service operations. And if you can see that across your entire landscape together, it actually enables you to deliver better outcomes, to drive automation, to really get to the issues before anybody picks up the phone and starts calling support. Yeah, I like the way you phrased that. I think one of, you know, through our journey, we saw a couple of things is the more we became digital, you have this initial sprawl where you're saying, oh my goodness, I didn't know I had these many requests now it's easier for folks to make a request when it's digital and it's automated and it's a click of a finger that you can make a request. But then you, you realize, well, guess what I have now? The gift is I have data. I have tons of data about you know, what the request is, how the request came in, where the request came in from, and, and what are the particulars of it. So to your point, Pablo, now I can get ahead of it because I know every November in the West Coast, I'm getting an order for a thousand you know, hotspots because they're going to the beach to work, right? And because everyone else is snowed in, right? So now I know that data point and I can actually effectively plan for it. And oh, by the way, cut my cost because now I can bulk order to certain things. Then you go all the way to the flip side and the immigration side, we, we have call centers. And after every call now, we do some sentiment analysis, we do some questionnaires, you know, find out why people are calling in. And oh, by the way, if they're calling in for one thing every single time that we can solve before they call in, then we can save the, the, the phone time. And our contact centers don't have our folks on the phone. And maybe you can go to our IVA get your question answered through a chatbot or through a, you know, questions on a website. And, and it's all about efficiency, but it starts with getting that data, looking at data and responding to the data. So I, I think it really revolutionizes the way we do things. 
Yeah, I'll jump in here as well, Jason. So for us, this is really an introduction or an obvious need or identification for AI ops, artificial intelligence operations. Uh, and I refer to it, um, you know, when I speak with the teams, there are the three V's when, it, when we talk about AI ops. So it's the velocity, the volume, and variety. And all of it pertains to data. So it has to start with the underlying understanding of our, um, our data uh, and having a data strategy because that's where a lot of the AI and machine learning and deep learning, that, that's where the, it's building off of, right? It's, it's the consumption of this uh, voluminous data that is generated by all these various sensors and systems. How best can you make sense of it so that you can leverage it to now identify efficiencies and effectiveness in the operations world or, or system, uh, service management world. So it, I would say for us, it, it starts with identifying data, uh, identifying how best to collect the data, how best to make sense of it, and then marrying that up against the use cases that we are collecting, uh, whether it's password resets or whether it's, you know, why a specific incident continues to occur on uh, um, repeated fashion. We can start identifying the use cases, but we really need to build out the data strategy before we can get there. Um, from an IRS perspective, you know, we have something, the last I spoke with our team, something upwards of 20 to 30 petabytes of data. Uh, trying to sort through that and make meaningful use of it requires a strategy first before we can just assume that we'll know exactly what we're looking for. Yeah, and if I was to just, and I'll, I'll build on this a little bit because uh, I think something that Yemi said really like um, rings true for me as well, which is like that, that ability to drive both the information that's coming in from people with the data sets that you have and, and to Kashit's point, bringing that together in a data lake then gives you that ability to really drive the machine learning that's going to be able to find those needles in a haystack that you can go then and take action around. And, and if you think about AI ops, it's really that convergence of data with machine learning to drive insights. But the thing that's super important there is you can't stop at the insight. You actually need the automation and that workflow to go and get to the outcome. So it, it really, you have to take that, you have to take that knowledge and apply it to something to be able to get to the outcomes that you want. Yeah. Uh, okay. oh, no, I was just concurring with Pablo's uh, um, comments. You're absolutely right. It, it isn't identification. And now that we know, great, we know. It's what are we going to do with it? And, and coming back to the points around automation, and, and that's where I see a lot of the AI ops leading towards. Identify, uh, collect, and then build automation around what are those use cases that you've identified that are in the most pressing need of some action being taken against them, knowing that we don't have the resources to keep up with what is being put out there. Kashid, I imagine at the end of April, every April, May timeframe, the IRS looks back at, okay, what happened during this tax season? Then how can we uh, improve upon it? Have you seen kind of that process change over the last few years as you guys have modernized, as you've digitally transformed and then added some of these tools to, to your, your tool belt? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we are using much more, I'd say, predictive analysis and predictive behavior to try and be more effective as we lead into filing season, certainly as we execute filing season. Um, and that's coming back to the points around data, you know, where we were to, as we prepared for a filing season, we are always looking for what were those problem issues or problem childs last year? And then what have been the issues as we lead into it before filing season starts using data and using again, an opportunity to find automation or, or areas of concerns. We are now able to be better uh, able to predict what is likely to occur. Everything from, you know, a lot of our incidents were previously caused by the need for us to complete health checks in time. So now we know we're gonna do health checks much more advanced or early in, in the year. Um, we also saw X number of incidents occur for application Y. So we're going to take proactive actions to now shore up, patch, whatever it is, uh, assign the right level of resources to that application. Um, we have continued to rely on and leverage the collection and of data that we produce 
um, to now become better in predicting what is likely to go wrong, and therefore putting us in more of a proactive fashion or proactive position rather than reactive. And so much of this comes back to be able to better serve your customers, better serve the citizens. And I think it was mentioned earlier on in our discussion, how the move to the cloud, the urgency, the acceleration of digital transformation really in the end is, is, is making USCIS or IRS or whomever more responsive to the citizenship. Is that, is that really the, the end goal that we're talking about here? I mean, it's great, as, as Ashit said, the cloud's great, but it's another tool. Are you starting to see that the pandemic and, and this move to the cloud and digital transformation has changed the way you're able to serve your customers, the, the, the public or the citizens or businesses? Absolutely. Uh, I, I saw Yemi come up to you also. So I, I don't want to be the one who hogs the airways, but I'll, I'll go since I'm already talking. Absolutely. Our ultimate goal and focus is improving taxpayer experience. Um, you know, Taxpayer First Act came out in July of 2019, and it is all about improving taxpayer experience. So that remains at the forefront of everything and everything we do. What the pandemic highlighted for us is we are not able to and haven't been able to serve our, our taxpayers who still rely on paper as well as we can and should. So that has really put that priority on the, at the front for us as well. We cannot force taxpayers to go digital, but what we can do is provide a digital experience for them when we get the information that we need from them. So for us, it certainly has become a key focus area. Um, we've established a digitalization office. We have a director leading that digitalization office, and we're heavily focused on how can we improve that digital experience for all taxpayers. Ultimately, it really is all about the constituents and the taxpayers that we are focused on day in and day. Yeah, and I would say it's it's, it's very similar because uh, because our mission is uh, got a lot of paper with it too, and so you know our focus was making sure there's an avenue to be digital end to end from putting you know your application in to communication interviews uh, to calling in getting updates. So we wanted to facilitate the experience of, of the applicant, and so we invested in that, and and, and I see that. Not only does cloud give you an opportunity to do that, but it's also speed the market because, you know, you, you mentioned agile early in, in the session, but agile is all about that feedback and being able to respond to the feedback. So I can, you know, set up a, a, a service and if the service has something that's not exactly right, now we can change it and quickly turn it back around and based on the feedback from a customer, provide them with the new experience and continue to grow and scale that way. So, you know, it, it's really supported it. And in the pandemic, it's kind of forced us to look at from a from a service perspective to our customer, you know, what are those things that we haven't thought of and how much can we be, you know, in a non-physical environment where, where you don't have to touch paper, you don't have to be in front of someone. And can we communicate and collaborate using the tools that are at our disposal and, and kind of tweak them to, to, to meet the needs of the uh, applicant? And, you know, I'll, I'll pile on and I'll, I'll go back to where uh, Kashit started us uh, in the conversation today around getting driving experiences. And the way we look at it is, it's experiences for the technologists. That could be your app dev teams that are trying to drive those Agile initiatives, or as Yemi talked about a bit earlier, the, the low code for the citizen developers that you have that are also now trying to move more quickly in technologists in the organization. And then from there, your employees, how are you serving those employees? Are you driving their experiences? And with their consumerized expectations, are you able to meet them where they're coming to you in your organization? And then going all the way out to that citizen or the customer and making sure that they have what they need in the, and how they're expecting it. And really it comes down to how are you driving the work that is enabling and empowering that through the experiences that people really are expecting in this digitally transformed world. The last piece I just want to touch upon for, the, for our conversation today is this idea of operational resiliency. And I think this tags back to throughout the entire conversation. Uh, we saw with the pandemic, uh, as I think Yemi mentioned, it made some investments to get you toward, make sure you're resilient. And, and 
just about a couple minutes left, but but maybe each of you take 30 seconds or so and just talk about how all these efforts are really also pushing towards better citizen services, but then the operational resiliency. Uh, yeah, I mean, you start us off and then we'll kind of work backwards. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think, you know, as you, we move more to, you know, cloud services and pick the right services, th there is some natural operational resiliency there because now you can you, you can actually scale because those services are, are right there for you. Um, you, you, you don't have to worry about you know your environment because the expert is taking care of that for you all you need to know is that these services are available and when something happens there, there's there's easy failover uh a lot of that comes with architecture but there, it's it's right there for you uh also you know you're able to build in services and function for the user that now they have options and options that are able to get to them quickly again i mentioned speed the market you know if we find there's a problem that doesn't allow our operator to, to you know, fulfill their mission, we can easily spin something up in a SaaS environment. Uh, we can easily, we talked about with some other components, share code across so that we're able to respond fast. And it's really one about the resiliency, but two about the response. And, and you see things are just so much quicker with these services that are there for you. Kashi, give me about one sentence about operational resiliency and Pablo, I'll get you one sentence too, because then we gotta, we gotta end our discussion, unfortunately. For us, it should be no different than a commodity service that you currently are used to in your personal life. You turn on a light switch, you expect electricity to be there. We want IRS to be the same. No matter what, we're always up and available. I'll give you my, my one sentence. So um, you're trying to innovate more quickly, as Kashit said, but in order to do that, you also make, have to make sure that operational resilience is there. This is how dev and ops are coming together into one world. And I think that is the destination that everybody has those are great one sentence. Unfortunately, we're out of time. So let me thank my guests for today. Pablo Stern, the Senior Vice President for IT Workflow Products at ServiceNow. Yemi Oshinaye, the Deputy CIO for the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. Kashit Pandia, the Deputy CIO for IT Operations at the IRS. Pablo, Yemi, Kashit, thank you so much for your time today. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the panel discussion, Government's Approach to Digital Transformation During COVID, sponsored by ServiceNow on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search ServiceNow. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Government's Approach to Digital Transformation During COVID, sponsored by ServiceNow on Federal News Network.